Okay. So without further ado, uh, ladies and gentlemen, my special guest today, uh, Dylan Nadler. He's the uh, the owner mm-hmm, yeah. of, of MindLock. Is it just MindLock? Yeah, MindLock. MindLock Mental Training. MindLock Mental Training. Um, I'm, I met you over the phone. This is our first like face-to-face meeting. I met you over the phone um, back in before December. It was, a while. It was, it was right was. before you were supposed to have... Um, who was it? The Toronto guy who was Elias. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right so before Eli- that, Elias was. It was around that time. No, we didn't get to work work with each other just yet. But uh, I was very fascinated with what you do. Um, and when I first met you, and you kind of explained it to me on the phone, um, I kind of want you to kind of let's dive into it now because um, I liked who you were. I liked that you were very uh, professional. You were very smart. You were very confident in everything that you were saying and that you did, and you believed in what you did as a service. So in a nutshell, let's run back. Uh, let's talk about you and say your martial arts history and kind of how mm-hmm. you, and let's, we'll break into that on how you got into uh, sports psychology. Sure, like the origin story. The origin was, story, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's the backstory on, right. on, on D- Dylan? So I was born in Vancouver, actually. And then when, a couple of years later, my parents moved to um, to Richmond Hill. So that's where I grew up. I grew up in Richmond Hill. Okay. Uh, I went to elementary school there. I ended up going to high school. Uh, it's a place called Bill Crothers. It's like a really, it's a sports school. Okay. Um, in Markham area, but I started doing Taekwondo when I was five. So my parents put me in, um, and it was a really recreational club, the same way that mm-hmm. I would say like 90% are, if not more, right? There's The joke is there's as many Taekwondo clubs in the GTAs or are Tim Hortons. Like there's, there's, I believe it. Right? Yeah. There's a lot. So I went to the belt, you know, white, yellow, whatever, and I really liked it. And for me, you know, you did Taekwondo, so you know mm-hmm. there's two sides of it. There's the traditional side, there's the patterns and, you know, the mm-hmm. all of that, and then there's the sparring side. The place I was at, it wasn't very high performance geared, right? It was very the other side, very traditional. You know, we did our patterns. It, it was what it was. But without exaggeration, I think we probably sparred once a year, oh, wow. maybe. Okay. And for me, I hated it because I love sparring. Like, I, I didn't know what I was doing, but I just loved to spar. So I'd always ask the master, like, hey, like, can we spar today? Can we spar today? And then he would always kind of look around and gauge the room and be like, no, we can't. Mm-hmm. Because the problem when you only let people spar once a year is when you let it happen, it's like letting the dogs out. It, it was crazy and no one knew what they were doing. So it was like no rules. It was crazy. It was, it was ridiculous. But I still loved it. So I was begging him, like, let, let me go to a tournament. He's like, okay, okay. They would put up a poster once in a while. So I ended up going to my first tournament, maybe like nine, 10 years old. And I show up and nobody was there, like from my team. There was no master there, no, no teammates, nothing. It was just me and my parents and my brother, I guess, who was watching. So what had, what had to happen was my dad ended up sitting in the coach's chair coaching me because I had no coach. And he had his um, little like recorder, like his little video camera, like between his legs position. So he could record me at the same time. And it was it was a joke because what's he going to say? He at that he does take one though now. He's a black belt. But at that time he hadn't. Mm-hmm. So he's just saying like, faster, 10 seconds, whatever. So, but I still loved it. Like it, even though I had a pretty bad experience, I guess, with mm-hmm. having no support there, I you couldn't take me away from it. I just wanted more and more and more. So eventually, listen, my master at that point did an amazing thing that I don't know if other people would do. He said, listen, what you want, we can't provide at this point. Like you you need a, to go to a place where you'll be supported, where you can train hard, mm-hmm. we can go to tournaments and like we just we can't do that for you. So what he did is he was really connected in the area and he gave me a list of like 10 high level coaches in like the GTA. And he's like, these are my friends. These are people that I have a good relationship with. Try them all out. 
like you have my blessing basically to leave, mm. which is, you know what I mean? Like it is a really cool thing for him to do because I don't think a lot of people do it. So my very first trip was this place called Authentic Taekwondo in Markham. And I show up and I'm sitting there. And at the time I, I walk in with a broken hand because of the tournament before I broke my hand, I like blocked it. You know, when you mm. block a kick with your open hand, like a stupid, and I and it broke. So I'm there with a the cast on and I'm getting a vibe for the place. And, you know, I sit down and, and I meet the person who ended up being my my coach for, for the longest time, Master Farah. Mm. So I'm sitting down and he goes through, he asked me, you know, the first thing he asked me, we're sitting in his office. He goes, like, what, what are your goals, right? Like, what do you want to do? And I, and I thought about it. And at this time I was grade seven. So I was like, what, 12 years old, mm -hmm. 11 years old. And I go, I just want to be the best version of myself that I could be. I just want to be the best Dylan Nadler I could possibly be. And I said, I don't care if that's local level. I don't care if that's provincial champion, national champion, Olympics. I don't care. Mm -hmm. I just felt like I had so much potential that wasn't being tapped into. That's what bothered me. I felt like, let me just see where this goes. So unlike other people, I didn't really start saying, I want to be a champion or I want to be this or that. I just felt like I had this potential and it was killing me to not see it come to fruition. So I was like, just get me there. And he's like, no problem. So I remember walking into the gym and, and there was another person there whose name is Master Gafour, Ali Gafour. He's the CEO right now of 2020 Armor. Shout out to him. He just created a really cool electronic vest scoring system. Okay, um, that's it, cool. Yeah, it's changing the game. Yeah. So I remember, and I'm watching the class. I'm with my parents. We're sitting inside. We're in the dojang. And I'm watching the class and he has all of the kids facing the mirror and they're all kind of stepping. And he's saying, okay, I want you to fake and I want you to move and I want you to see what you look like when you're doing these things. So I want you to, for example, like turn your back, throw a kick, and I want you to like watch your body movements. And I want you to see, okay, if you turn your shoulders one way, it's going to make your opponent think that you're going to throw a back kick, for example, just from a little twitch of your shoulder. And you can use that to kind of set something else up. And I was just sitting there and I was like, oh my God, I was blown away. I'm like, wait, there's strategy to this? Like I had never, I, for me, as the moment they say go to the moment they say stop, I'm just kicking. Mm -hmm. Boom, 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 no strategy, nothing. So for me to sit there and be like, man, like there's a strategy to, like I was, I didn't go anywhere else. I had a whole list. I threw it away. Mm -hmm. I stayed there. Authentic Taekwondo is my spot. That's where I stayed. So from there, I mean, I was a black belt at the time, second degree black belt too. In terms of my ability to compete at a high level, it's nothing really. Mm -hmm. I mean, to put into perspective, one of the parents there, it's funny, my dad told me later on, um, they're in like the parent area watching and, and one of the parents goes to my dad, he goes, Dylan's black belt? He goes, no, 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 no. He's not black belt. That's mm -hmm. how bad I was compared to because when you come from a place that doesn't do any sort of high level training or anything, yeah. like it's trash, you know? So, on, but on the other side, I don't regret it because I learned so much from the traditional side, the mm -hmm. discipline, the self-control, all of those martial arts tenets that you want people to learn from a young age, mm -hmm. discipline. Like I really did learn that at this club. So what it lacked in the high performance side, it made up in the traditional gritty like martial arts mm -hmm. side. So I never regret either way going one way or the other. Um, and from there, we were going to like local tournaments every single month. It would be all over Ontario. Like mm -hmm. everywhere we'd be driving and we would just fight at local tournaments against the same people and just get experience. And I was doing pretty well. Like I was learning pretty fast. I hadn't won any. I think I came second a couple of times and it was preparing for the first provincial. So there's mm -hmm. a big provincial. It was in Kitchener actually at Conestoga okay. College. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I showed up and, and I won. And it was my first like big win as provincials. I remember my parents were like, oh, you're provincial champion. And I'm like, I don't really know what that means, but okay, cool. And then a few months later it was nationals. So we fly all the way to, to Vancouver mm -hmm. and I won nationals too. So in the first, really my first, 12 to 15 months of competing at a high level. I was provincial champion, national champion. And that's really where things kicked off.
Um, I'm trying to think where to go from here. Um, I mean, from there, same thing. You you grow. We're still, we had a good group of like young kids. It was me. There were probably like five, six of us around the same age, just training. Mm. And we're training at a really, really high level. Um, and we were competing everywhere around the world. So you know, um, everywhere from Germany, Netherlands, uh, Barcelona, Dubai. Like from a really, really young age, we were traveling. We were competing. Cool. Yeah, and and it it just led to a different life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where you know, in high school. When everyone's doing one thing, we were doing the other. I mean, we were training three times a day in high school. So, you know, we wake up. My mom would take me to the club. We train from seven to eight in the morning. And then my coach would drive us all to school because we were mm-hmm. all at the same age. So he'd drive us all to school after training. And then we'd come back. So my mom would pick me up from school. We'd go back, train again three to five. Then we'd have some time off, do our homework, eat a little bit, whatever. And then we'd train again at night with everybody else from like seven to mm-hmm. nine. So we were training three times a day like 15 years old, like a lot of the time. And it's just what life was. And for us, it was normal. Like I never really mm-hmm. knew anything else, cutting a lot of weight. Like it was just a life of discipline that was super unique to that core group and anybody that did that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But it helped translate into who I became later on because of those things. You know what I mean? Having to carry around like a four liter jug of water because I was cutting weight in high school. Like all of these little things that seemed like a nuisance at the time. Mm-hmm. They build into who you are in, in terms of the discipline, For in terms sure. of the adversity that you face. So, you know, from there, I mean, I, I ended up, when you, when I look back at my Taekwondo career, I was number one in Canada um, for a long time, mm-hmm. top ranked. Uh, I was top 40 in the world at one point for my division. Um, and I fought, I fought in so many different countries against so many different people. I was the first Canadian, or the only Canadian in, in a long time to win back-to-back U.S. Open championships. So there's a okay. tournament called That's the U.S. Cool. Open. Yeah, it was sick. It, it, it's called the U.S. Open. And it's like the biggest open tournament in maybe the world that you don't have mm-hmm. to qualify for. So everybody goes. And I won it back-to-back 2014, 2015, which is like the first time a Canadian did that in a really, really long time. Um, and then, yeah, just like some really, really cool, really cool stories. I mean, I fought when I was like 16 or 17. I fought against the guy who had just won the Olympics from China. It was 26. He just came off winning the 2016 Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy named Shuai Zhao. And... Um, he just won, and then a few months later, I I, I was fighting him. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like crazy the the way that, that matches up at a really young age too. And I I lost, but I didn't get beat up or anything like mm. that. If anything, I took the fight to him. But you know how Taekwondo works? It's not necessarily about who's more dominant. It's just about how you score the points, Fast. right? So there's yeah. a, and that's kind of what lost it for me later on, which mm. is just like, man, I'm such a fighter, but this isn't working for me anymore. Just trying to score the points and whatever. Mm. It just it wasn't working for me the way it used to because I would do things. I'd fight people like that where I would bring the fight to them. If anything, I would dominate them. Mm-hmm. Then you look at the scoreboard and you're like, where, like, how did this happen? Yeah. So that's what sl- slowly kind of like weaned me off of it. But that's that's my Taekwondo background and, and how that kind of manifested. And now I'm a, I'm a fourth degree black belt, so I'm a, I'm a master. Um, I was teaching classes for a long time and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have that under my belt. So, you know, it's... Definitely a pride thing. I think you forget about the traditional side mm-hmm. when you really start to compete. It doesn't matter that much. But then when you stop competing, you look back. You're like, you know what? That's cool. Like I, I'm a, I'm a well, master. You learn, you learn that discipline to, to get you to that next level in a different sense. Yeah. I mean, you don't wouldn't want to be the top end level and completely miss the traditional side. For sure. So how did when how did the sports psychology stuff come come to play with all this stuff? Did the did that force you to go into that lifestyle of school because of Taekwondo or of, Fill, fill in the gaps here. So it's funny. So 
from a young age, I wanted to be a sports psychologist, like from a really, really young age. Like if you look at my elementary school yearbook and it says, mm. where do you want to be in 10 years? Like that's what I put. Like when everyone else wanted to really? be like a doctor, lawyer, yeah. musician, like I want to be a sports psychologist, which is weird. It's not a normal thing. I mean, I think when I was really, really little, I wanted to be like an astronaut, right? I wanted to go to space mm. until my parents sat me down to like, listen, like you got to be super sick at science and only like 1% of astronauts actually go into space. And I was like, no, it's a wrap. Not, <laughs> not for me, not for me. And from there, I really just wanted to be, I think I was always in sports, right? Like I said, I started Taekwondo when I was five, mm. I was playing soccer or whatever. And I always was interested in psychology just because I, I always wanted to know why. You know what I mean? Like I was mm. one of those annoying kids, like why, 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 you know? And um, I always was interested in the why, even things like billboards, like why would they choose that font or why that mm. color or why that slogan? Like I was interested in behavior, like how could people change variables and manipulate variables to change people's behavior from like a really, really young age. Um, so that's how the two combined and I just never, I never let it go. And I guess my original intention was, you know, I'll finish my fighting career and then I'll go from there, right? I, mm. I went to university, um, I was still fighting in university, I was in psychology, I was at York first for a bit, now I'm at U Ottawa. I'm just gonna go through the psychology degree and kind of go from there. And then when I stopped fighting in 2017, I was kind of just like, what am I waiting for? You know what I mean? Like I, I have so much sport experience, but that's not enough. But mixed with my intuition and my love for this thing, I feel like I could do something now, mm -hmm. right? Like, of course there's more to learn in school, but is it something that I can't learn myself like by doing the research, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, it's not just something you can just pick up and do, but I figured like, why am I waiting? Why am I letting someone else tell me when I can do this if I feel like I could? But at the same time, I was willing to accept the fact that maybe I'm not good at this. So I just tried. I was like, mm -hmm. you know what? I built this thing. I built this program. And I reached out to all of my uh, all of my connections in Taekwondo. I'm like, where do I start? I start mm -hmm. with Taekwondo people. So I reached out to all these coaches in the area, people that I knew. And, you know, it was my first experience, I guess, kind of like cold DMing people. Um, and I got a couple of responses from, you know, some some really high level instructors that I grew up with, too. And I was like, all right, let's bring you in. Luckily, because I was reaching out to Taekwondo people, I already had that kind of prestige that came with me mm -hmm. where people trusted me. They knew who I was. They knew what I was about. And I knew what level I fought at. So I guess they figured, you know what, let's give him a try because if he can, I guess if he can coach these guys half as well as he fights, like we're going to be okay. So that's where I started. Um, I did like a summer program with these mm -hmm. two clubs. It was, you know, it was good. I learned a lot. There were a lot of things that didn't go well. There were a lot of things that did. It was a crazy learning experience. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, I took maybe a few months off just to go back into school. And then I get a message like January. This is like 2018, January. Not a message to follow from this UFC fighter. And I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. You know what I mean? It's not every day you get a follow from a UFC fighter. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, fuck it. Like I, I'll, I'll just message her. It was, it, was, um, it was my first ever UFC client, Leah Letson. Okay. So she, she follows me and I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, let me send her a message. I wake up. Not only was there no response, but she read it. And read it and no response. I'm like, fuck. And I'm like, man, I just took my L. I was like, whatever. But then the day went on and I'm like, why not just try again? You know what I mean? Like, let me send another message. What's the worst that could happen? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? She doesn't answer me. Whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's not that bad. I think that's one thing that you learn from competing too and being under high level pressure situations. You realize like what's really bad and what's not that bad. Mm -hmm. What really is scary and what's not. I'm like, it's not that scary. I'm not that scared of rejection. Send her another one. Turns out she was just busy. It's like, oh, oh my God, sorry, I was caught up. Oh, well, yeah, mm -hmm. send me an email. Which is usually like 95% yeah. of the time with people. It's, they're just yeah. busy. You know, I read, I've read messages and go, okay, I'm going to message that guy back later and then I'll forget. Yeah, listen, number <laughs> one, listen, if you're watching this and you do any sort of like cold messaging, anything, yeah. 
persistence, persistence. Mm-hmm. The, my mentality, at least even now is until you tell me no, mm-hmm. I'll keep messaging you. See, that's what I liked about you. And that's why I said it kind of, remi- you reminded me of Dara because it was, there was a, you were persistent in, in talking. You had to talk to me about something and it was like, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. I know that you understand you're busy, but I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. And that was what like, okay, there's, there's some sort of urgency here. Cause if you didn't give up, we never would have talked. Right? Mm-hmm. Same with him. Like he was very like, Hey man, like you got to be in the people's face. Yeah. Cause and if you're a not going to forget. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a line. Like if someone tells you no and you keep going, then that's different. Then you're going to get blocked and it's going to mm-hmm. be, it's, it's bad. It's a, it actually hurts your brand. You don't want to be annoying. You know what I mean? Mm. But what I found is when you think you're being annoying, you're really not. Sometimes people genuinely just forget. You could send them five messages in a row mm-hmm. and they answer on the six and you expect them to be mad. And they're like, oh, sorry, man. Thanks for being so persistent. Like you just said. Mm-hmm. It's like, whoa, interesting. Because I think the way that we grow up, the only thing you compare like cold messaging to is almost like DMing a, yeah. or just yeah. taking, DMing like a girl. Yeah. Think about what you learn when you're talking to girls. It's like, Oh, you, you know, you send one message, you get our bomb, then it's like, oh, mm. I'm not gonna talk. You know what I mean? It's like a, it's like a this. Yeah, yeah. And that's the only thing that younger people can relate to, like, cold anything. But it's not like that. You know what I mean? You, you, you can send ten messages in a row, and until you tell me no, I'm gonna keep going because mm-hmm. either you're busy or I'm gonna force you to have the balls to tell me no. Mm-hmm. I'm okay if you tell me no, no problem. I'll end it on a nice note. We'll move yeah. on. Leave the door open. But until you have the balls to tell me no, I don't want this. Let's keep going. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's my mentality. Well, they say even in sales, you know, it's it's not the first call; it's the sixth call. Yeah, and and they, you have to be, you got to keep keep on and keep on and keep on until they they t- finally say, okay, no, like beat it. <laughs> I don't but, want yeah. your product, or I'm not I'm not answering. But mm-hmm. persistence, man, is is true, hundred percent. It's everything. So that's what I did. Yeah. So I messaged her. We mm-hmm. you know we we got together, and I ended up messaging her. Um, I got on the phone with her agent. Because um, I guess what I wanted in return, I was going to do it for free. And I was like, you know, maybe you just post some stuff for me on your page. She's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, anything that I do social media related, you know, goes to my agent, blah, blah, blah. So I'm on the phone with an agent. So now not only am I talking to my first ever like UFC fighter, but now I'm on the phone with like an agent, like a sport agent from like a really successful company. It's called Iridium. I just spoke with the CEO, Jason House, like a couple of days ago. I did my own podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, I'm like, okay, the ball is kind of turning, blah, blah, blah. So I ended up working with her for like six weeks for free. And I'm okay with that. I'm like, listen, I think I said the same thing to you. I'm like, I believe in this, right? I'm not trying mm-hmm. to I'm not trying to scam anybody. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to like pull a fast one. I'll give you six full weeks. And at the end, if you feel like, you know what, it's not for me, no problem. I appreciate the fact that you tried. Mm-hmm. But in my experience. So dive into exactly what it is that you do. Okay, cool. And then so, we'll come back. We'll come back yeah, to yeah. her again. So at Mindlock, it's completely sports psychology, nothing else. So there's there's no other type of coaching in there. It's developing the mental side of sport for high-performance athletes. Okay. So when I say developing the mental side, we're looking at the pillars that make up the mental game, right? And I think I said this to you at one point too. You look at an athlete, especially a high-level athlete, mm-hmm. and you ask them, well, how much of performance is broken down into the physical side and the mental side? There's some people that say mental is 99%. Some people say it's 80, whatever. Let's be conservative and say it's 50-50. Right, super conservative, 50-50, mental, physical. Well, now you have to look at people's habits, Mm -hmm. right? How much of their behavior goes into the physical side? How much of their training, right? Supplements, nutrition, training, conditioning coach, technical, um, sleep, right? All these things are all physical. So now when you look at what people are doing to attack the mental side, not much. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe they listen to a podcast. Maybe they have like some quotes Read on their phone. Book. Yeah, it's not the same at all. It doesn't take the same disciplined approach. It's not consistent. But then you look at it and you say, well, the mental game makes up at least 50% of my performance. And that always blew me away. And that's something that I came to realize through my own experience traveling the world and seeing high-level training programs, seeing Olympians. And I realized like, these are all amazing athletes and they do certain things, but how come there's no like psychological aspect that's so intense that it creates like as much pull as everything else that they're doing, mm-hmm. right? Maybe some people talk to someone every once in a while, whatever, but it wasn't the same, right? It wasn't the same as physical. And that always blew me away. Cause for me, I really leaned into the mental side because I mean, look at me, I was, I'm not, I was never the tallest in my division. I was mm-hmm. never the fastest, never really the strongest, but I was tough because I taught myself those things all the self-talk, all the visualization, right? All of the mental side of competing, I focused on that all the time too. So when I showed up to compete, I was confident, but it was like a true authentic confidence mm-hmm. instead of this facade, right? And the problem is when you try to put your chest out and you kind of pretend and you and you fake it till you make it type of thing, the moment you get exposed, it's a wrap, mm-hmm. right? You lose your confidence as quickly as it comes when it's not authentic. For sure. I was able to walk into the ring confident in myself and my abilities, mm-hmm. knowing that, my goal was just to be the best version of myself, like I said before, right? When your goal is to get a crazy KO in your head, the moment you realize that it might not happen, starts to kind of take you away from that, mm-hmm. right? The moment you realize, oh, I want a first round knockout. Now it's a second round. Now you're already starting to like hesitate too. Mm-hmm. So my goals were never like that. I'm just going to show up and be the best version of myself. I'm going to fight my best fight every time, whether that's finishes in the first round, goes all three, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Even if you lose, even if I lose, but I gave my best, I'm okay with that. Right, people get outclassed all the time. The worst thing isn't getting outclassed. The worst thing is underperforming. Mm-hmm. That's the worst feeling. It's not losing. People think, "Oh, I'm so scared to lose." No, it's losing when you know you shouldn't have. That's what keeps people up at night. Mm-hmm. Anyone can get outclassed. It's just okay, it should I should have beat him? I should have. Yeah. could have. I, I should have done this different. I knew better. Yeah, it's the regret. Mm-hmm. So when it, when you when you talk to an athlete, let's say so an athlete comes to you and they say, "Hey, Dylan, uh, I want to work on." Do they come to you with things that they want to work on mentally or do you diagnose that in a sense where you ask them a million questions and then you say, okay, this is where I think you're lacking and then this is how we advance. So, you know, you have to do self words of affirmation yeah, yeah, yeah. or something for a month. They're like, how does it work when someone comes, actually sure. comes to so see the, you? So the program itself is, is completely online, which is actually good because of how this whole COVID thing went. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I work primarily like just a lot of international stuff, like a lot of Americans and, and whatever, it just helps. So we start the call, Skype, FaceTime, whatever. And off the bat, the one of the first things I do on the first day is a baseline assessment. Mm-hmm. So I'll ask them, like you said, all these different questions, um, measuring from one to ten, and I'll get and then I'll kind of measure it at the end. And, and I'll like have, what kind of questions would you ask? A question would be, for example, you know, I am able to visualize myself doing an action, mm-hmm. right? And you tell me, okay, one to six or one to ten, right? Or another thing could be, you know. So I one get like one being low, six being yeah, okay. one being really okay. low, six being high, or you know, I get. Un- like unexpected noises distract me, right? Certain things Squirrel. like that. Yeah, and, and they get, <laughs> right? And they get funneled into different categories, right? So there's self-talk, visualization, discipline, self-control. And I basically just tally the numbers. And I say, okay, well, this person is, you know, at 10 here, eight here, four here, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. It's more detailed than that, but this gotcha. is like the thing. Yeah. And I'm able to say, okay, well, here you go, right? How do you feel about this, mm-hmm. right? This is kind of you on paper. 
And I really appreciated that. And it's I do it that way because that's how I would want it. Mm-hmm. I like seeing the numbers. I like tangible things. I don't really like someone just saying, oh, it, it sounds like you have confidence issues. I mm-hmm. want someone to say, well, based off of these things that you assessed yourself, that's what the numbers are saying. And then we talk about it. So based off of every person's results, they get a completely personalized program for them. So gotcha. there's not just like a cookie cutter formula that I push everybody through and they learn the same thing. It doesn't work like that. Everybody's personalized because everybody has different strengths and weaknesses, mm-hmm. right? One person could be really high level in one thing and low in the other, and then you switch it for different people. It just wouldn't work to push them through the same thing. So based off of that, I have a ton of activities, worksheets, all these different things, and we'll just go every session, whether it's once a week, once every two weeks, once a month, whatever it is, we'll just run through it. So we'll have, okay, here's our visualization exercise. Here's our self-talk activity. Here's our goal setting sheet. And the moment we're done, because it's online, I just email it to them the right way. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to write anything down. They don't have to worry about remembering things. They just talk. They talk. I write down. And then I send it off to them. And as we build this relationship, now when problems start to come up, we can talk about it right away because we know each other. Mm-hmm. Right? They say, man, like this happened in training. I was getting frustrated. Because we've built this relationship over the course of a certain amount of time, it's easier. Whereas a lot of times, because sports psychology is so expensive, it's crazy. It's so expensive. People can really only afford to do it for like a couple sessions before a fight. Mm -hmm. It's just, I never understood that. It just doesn't make sense. You you just can't do that. So for me, it's way cheaper, but it's consistent. Mm -hmm. That way we've built this relationship so that when the time comes where there is a problem or something that comes up, we're ready to go, right? And because it's portable, because it's online, you don't have to come to an office. I mean, when people are flying to Fight Island, like I've had, you can just FaceTime me when you when you get to the room. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy too. It's really good because now the UFC is making people quarantine, right? For like 24 hours before. So you got some time to kill. Now we have even more time to talk. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So a lot of times where even compared to their opponent, their opponent's kind of driving themselves crazy. They have nothing to do compared to them mm-hmm. who we can get together. We can talk, go over, like give them a, a couple game plan things. Like, hey, here's what we should be doing for the next little bit. How are you feeling? Touch base. It's just like, it's completely different. Are, are all the athletes that you've worked with the same kind of uh, um, ticks in their armor when it comes to the psychological game? No, and that's one thing that that caught me off guard, which is how different people's skill sets are. I think from the outside in, because I've always been a fight fan, I've always mm-hmm. watching the UFC, you think, man, these people are crazy. Like you see how they perform, and you're like, these, like they're doing crazy, phenomenal things until you start talking to them and you realize like there's some underlying stuff here, mm-hmm. right? The person that you think is a beast and they are, they have confidence issues, right? There's a there's there's people that just are really negative. And they have these negative self-talk statements that, that take them away. And you're like, how could you think like that? You're so talented. Mm-hmm. So everybody has their differences. And it forces me, it challenges me to understand how to help all these people too. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, if it was just a cookie cutter system, I could just kind of like autopilot it and talk to them. But it forces me to be on my game and understand because everybody's completely different, mm-hmm. which helps me as, my, as a fighter myself because all I'm doing is having conversations with like the highest level competitors in all of martial arts. Mm-hmm. So not only am I helping them, but it helps me. It's like getting reps in, right? So it's like this for sure. win-win for everybody. But you, yeah, you. I definitely found right away that people are different. You'll find that people have similar kind of issues that you can put in the same bucket and you can address. And once you kind of find the way to address one person with the same problem, you can address another. Mm-hmm. But it does take some time to understand like where does this come from? Because you know what you might tell me is a problem. It might be, it might not. It takes a little bit more diving into it to mm-hmm. understand like is that really what stems from it or could there be more? So that's the benefit of having a consistent program where we can touch base once a week, twice a week and actually dive into these real things and it, it helps everybody. I mean like just the ability to, 
talk to somebody and work things out is huge. And I think the biggest misconception that fighters have is I'm tough already, mm -hmm. right? I get that all the time. I'm already tough. Thanks. It's okay. I don't need it. I'm confident. That's great. You know what I mean? And if you're mm -hmm. confident, that means you get to start at a better place than someone else that's not, but it doesn't mean you can't, you don't need it. Mm -hmm. It's like, imagine Floyd, Floyd Mayweather says, you know, I don't need a boxing coach anymore. I'm good at boxing. Mm -hmm. you, you still need it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I don't need a striking coach. You do. You still need to be, no matter how strong you are at anything, you need to be challenged. You need to be um, like held accountable for those skills as well. You can always learn. You can always develop. Like I said, mm -hmm. always be challenged. So people that feel like, well, I'm already mentally tough, that's a great head start, but it's not the answer, right? Mm -hmm. The same way you would never tell your coach, well, I don't need to go for a run. I have good cardio. How do you think you maintain good cardio? You have to keep up with mm -hmm. your running, with your skipping. You have to keep it up. So if you're naturally mentally talented, you have to keep up with it. And if you're not being challenged, then you're going to get bored. And that's where this comes in. So it's mm -hmm. for everybody. Everyone comes in at different levels. There's some people that have a lot of issues. There's some people that have none. But the benefits are always the same because the ability to talk mm -hmm. to somebody on a consistent basis is huge. Even little things, even if something, let's say, bothers you in practice, you get frustrated. A lot of people don't know what to do with that frustration. Mm -hmm. They go in the car, they turn on their music, they get home, they forget about it. It's going to manifest in other ways, right? Maybe next time you spar that person that frustrated you, you're a little bit more tense mm -hmm. and you overcommit and you get caught. Well, if you dealt with that frustration the moment it came up, wouldn't have happened. So what would, how would you de deal with that kind of frustration? Let's just use that as, a, as an example. Mm -hmm. Like how, if someone said to you, called you up and said, hey, Dylan, you know, this week I had, you know, we had pro sparring this week, wasn't my week. I was, you know, every time I turned around, I was getting cracked. I would just, didn't seem like my head was there. Well, what do you do to, to, to start to get these people through that? Well, like I said, going back to what I said before, but always asking why and being interested in the why, mm -hmm. that's where I would start. There's always more. There's always a why. So they say, well, my head wasn't there. Well, why? Right? How did your day go? Did mm -hmm. you get enough sleep? How was your, did you eat that day? You know, did you get into a fight with your girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever? It, it starts with the why, mm -hmm. right? What led to that? And then, you know, it might not have gone well, but there, there are practices that don't go well. Why is it bothering you so much? Right? A lot of people you'll see, you know, maybe they'll, they'll train in another gym and they get nervous when another coach is watching them, right? Because mm -hmm. they want to kind of like show off and it doesn't work. Well, the question is, well, why do we care about what they think, right? Why do we, why are we putting so much into their hands, right? Like their judgment, why are we valuing mm -hmm. their judgment? So it comes down to all those questions of why, right? So that's what I would start with. I'd say, well, you know, not every practice has to be a good practice. Let's figure out why, right? And sometimes it's, it's ironic. The worst practices are the best ones because you learn from it, mm -hmm. right? It's easy to, to feel good when things are flowing, but are you really learning? Not really. I mean, my, my coach used to tell me too, he used to say, Listen, you know, what he used to compare it to like surfers in the ocean. He's like, when the waves are coming and you can just ride those waves, yeah, you're going to have a great time, but you're not really learning anything. You're not developing. Mm -hmm. But when there's, you know, a day when the ocean's completely flat and you have to swim and you have to find that one wave and you finally go up and you ride it, that's when you develop the most, mm -hmm. right? So yeah, riding the wave is fun, but sometimes when there's nothing there and you have to force yourself to do it and you have a shitty practice, you can learn the most from it. Mm -hmm. So you can understand it. So one thing I do is I get all my athletes to journal after every practice. Whether it's they train once a day, three times a day, doesn't matter. Every single practice, journal. And what's it for? They, they write down, well, okay, what happened in this training? What did so I do? do? You, so uh, say if, if you gave me a journal to do, I wouldn't know what the hell to write. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like if you were to say, okay, I, I need you to do a journal after every training session, do you give them a list of questions to write down with, with the journal? Yeah. So, so I'll how tell does them, it work? So it's pretty simple. It, it okay. really just is like the five W's, right? What did you do? Mm -hmm. How did it make you feel? And like anything special that came up. So for example, it could be something really small as I showed up, I had a great session. 
Um, you know, I had a good meal beforehand, gave me good energy. You know, just just felt nice and light. Maybe off the top, it doesn't feel like you gained anything from writing in there. But when you extrapolate it and you write it over and over and over again, you'll see patterns, mm. right? Sometimes there's more to write. You say, man, I got cracked. Like you said, I got cracked. I shouldn't have done that. You know, my my hand wasn't up. Next time I have to make sure my hand's up because I was really embarrassed. Mm. Okay, cool. What you'll find is two things happen when you start to journal. So to answer your question of what do you journal, it's, it's really just that. What did I do? Mm-hmm. How did it make me feel? Were there any things that frustrated me, made me feel really good? Whatever. I do it too. I do. I've been doing this since I was a little kid, like 14, 15. Every single practice, I would write in it. Mm-hmm. Does two things. Number one, builds awareness. Right? It builds the awareness of even understanding what caused me the frustration. Like I said, people finish practice. Most people don't even stretch, let alone journal. Right? Yeah. People want to get in their car and they want to go home. They're like, fuck, I worked hard enough. Right, but you forget about those things. People, people overestimate their memory. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to remember. No, you're not. You're not. You're going to get in the car. You're going to turn on your song. You're going to go home, shower. Cook. Like you're, you've already forgotten it. So write it when it's fresh. Mm-hmm. Right. So what happens is you build the awareness. You have to understand. Wait a second. I did get frustrated today. Or wait a second. I did learn something new. Or wait a second. I did have low energy. Why? So it it, it builds awareness, which a lot of people want to have, but they don't. So that answers the question. Well, how do I be more aware? Journal. You have to ask yourself those questions. Number two, it allows you to look at this timeline that you've created for yourself, right? Because let's say you've been journaling every practice for a year. You can flip back through those pages and you can see, wait a second, like that used to really frustrate me, right? I used to get caught all the time. My hands were never up. Now my defense is one of my strongest assets. Mm -hmm. And you get to look back and be proud of yourself and understand like, wait a second, I did that. And then when you find yourself facing another problem, Mm -hmm. you can look back and say, well, I faced problems before. I can get over that. Right? I thought my hands being up was the biggest problem and I fixed it. Mm-hmm. So now I have this new problem. Why can't I fix that? Right? And it just, it's consistency. Right? It, it, I heard this quote a long time ago I really like. It says you have to collect the dots to connect the dots. Mm-hmm. So every time you write in this journal, you're like collecting these dots. And then you can take a step back and connect them and look for the trends. Okay. You look back at the year, for example. You say, okay, these are my five best practices, my five worst. What links them? Mm-hmm. Right? Maybe it's a certain meal. Maybe it's a certain amount of sleep. Maybe it's a friend that you spoke to on the phone before. Maybe it's a toxic girlfriend. Right. Maybe it's, it could be anything. It could be anything. But unless you have that information, mm-hmm. you can't connect anything. And that's where people lose it. They live their life day by day, which is great. You want to be in the present. But for me, I tell all my athletes, you want to be an athlete, but you have to treat yourself like a scientist, mm-hmm. collecting data, gathering data, analyzing it. You have to do it. And I'm able to tell them this because I did that too. And like I said, that's what made me special. It wasn't my crazy supernatural fighting skills. Mm-hmm. It was the things that I did behind the scenes that made me special. I knew myself better than anybody. I knew no matter what country I'm in, these are the foods I can find because I know what helps me perform well. This is the music I can listen to because I know how to perform. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. I knew how to perform. That's really just what high-level sports are. How can you perform? It doesn't matter if you're the best athlete in the world. If you show up and you underperform, that's what people remember you mm-hmm. as. It's about performance, and that's why it matters. Can you pull it out? Can you execute? Execution is hard. Practice is easy. Mm-hmm. Training's easy. Anyone could be a big fish in a small pond. You could be the king of your gym, but if you're getting knocked out every time you step in, or mm-hmm. you're 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 you can't pull a trigger, or you're hesitating, that's your legacy. That's the legacy you leave behind. It's how can you perform? And people lose that. They think, oh, I'm gonna you know go to the gym. I'm gonna get my diet right. Those are all amazing things. But at the end of the day, if you can't execute, what are you? Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that I always prided myself in. I'm a performer. I can perform because I know how. And that's the number one message that I try to push onto my athletes in any way that I can. You have to perform. It's great that you're doing all these things, 
But the underlying reason that we're doing this in the way that we are is so that when you show up into the ring, you know that not only are you physically prepared and mentally prepared, but it's going to come to fruition and you're going to get the performance that you want. You're going to mm-hmm. perform to the best potential that you can, the best possible version of yourself. That's all you can ask for, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, there's other psychologists and, and it's true where they say psychology isn't always performing 10 out of 10. It's taking like a 6 out of 10 and squeezing out an 8. Mm-hmm. It's taking a 4 getting a six out of it. It's really just maximizing the most that you can do. Mm -hmm. And that's what it is. So we work one-on-one, you know, sometimes I'll do group sessions if it's like a bigger group, like I said, with those Taekwondo kids in the summer, but one-to-one, it'll last like 45 minutes to an hour. We'll go through our thing. Every week is different. Sometimes we just talk and go through certain adversities that came up. I'll email them the results. And then every few months we'll redo the baseline. So Mm -hmm. now we could see the, the development because the difference between mental training and physical training, it's less tangible. Right? If I can do 20 push-ups today and 40 push-ups next month, I know I'm getting stronger. But how do you really know if you're being more confident? How do you really know if you're more focused? It's hard. So doing it this way and you know, going over this baseline like every few months, it allows them to see, okay, you know what? I am getting better. It's a win-win. It helps me understand what's working and what's not. And it allows them to have more confidence in the program. And they say, you know what? Not only do I feel better, but the results are showing that. And the coaches like to see that. The agents like to see that. So it's, it's a win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard of fighters putting words of affirmation on their mirrors in the morning. Like that, that's the kind of thing you get into too, right? Just giving these guys different tools, different ways to to make themselves more mentally stronger or believing in themselves. Like what other techniques do you use besides a journal? Yeah, no, self-talk is huge. I mean, you know, this takes me back. So I mentioned before Master Gafour, Ali Gafour, the, the, the CEO of 2020 Armor. Mm-hmm. He told us when we were young, before our first nationals, I told you the, the first nationals that I won in 2012, he told us, I'll go to your mirror and, and write down, I have the mind of a, cha- of a national champion. And I think I was the only one that did it. Same thing with the journal. Our mm-hmm. coach had told us, you know, get a journal. I, at the time, I was more scared of him asking to see it and me not having it. That was really my motivation to start, you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Than actually knowing it. But I, I was the only one to do it. So same thing with the mirror thing. With my bathroom mirror, I have the mind of a national champion. Which sounds cool, but I mean, when you're 12 years old, it's kind of embarrassing. I don't mm-hmm. know, like my brother's there, like I have friends that come over. Like you forget like these things that just obviously sound like they help. When you're younger, like it could be embarrassing, but I, I stuck to it. I did it and it does work. And that's why a lot of fighters do it. They'll write it. You'll see like they have these big jugs of water. They'll write things on. It's the positive self-talk. I think positivity is hard, right? Negativity is easy. It's mm-hmm. really easy to just, you know, have a, a pessimistic outlook on things. And positive positivity is hard. So how do you develop that how do you like flex that muscle it's through rehearsing these things so for for everybody it's different right some people like to actually say it out loud they say oh i'm the best i'm tough i'm strong some people do it in their head some people have their coach say it to them but it, like you said it's, it, it's affirming these things and you're fueling your head with positivity mm-hmm. right it's it's the best way to do it because that voice in your head people always neglect it right it's that voice when you are in training to get hit with something you go man like i how did that guy catch me like i'm i'm so shit even something is that we think it's normal human behavior, right? It's okay to be down on yourself, but why? Mm-hmm. Why do we accept talk to ourselves that we wouldn't necessarily say to our teammate or our best friend, right? I would never look at you after you got caught and said, "Man, you're so shit." You just got let that guy catch you. You would never do that because you know it's not helpful. Mm-hmm. It's not conducive to a positive experience. So why do you allow yourself? Why do we allow ourselves to talk that way to ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes you have to ask, like, "Would I say that to somebody else? Why is it okay if I say that to me?" Why can I wake up and say, man, I'm so tired. Like, I don't even want to go to practice. You know what I mean? Like, maybe I'll just stay home. It all counts. So you have to push it out with the positive stuff. It's the only way to do it. And mm-hmm. it's, it takes a while. 
it's probably one of the longest things to develop, the positive self-talk, because you're changing something that's been the same way like your whole life. You've never really been forced to check it. And this is where the awareness comes in, because part one is having the awareness to catch the negativity. Mm -hmm. Most people don't do that. You have to have the awareness to catch it. Then you have to be able to change it up. So what I do, and this is different than what most people do, is I filter it. So I take a negative statement, and I'll find a way to filter it into something positive. So, you know, a common example is people saying, I'm nervous, and you channel it into I'm excited, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's the same same bodily feeling where you have the butterflies, you're sweating mm -hmm. a little bit, you're a little anxious. But when you label it as nervous, it's like a negative connotation. Gotcha. But when you label those same feelings as excitement, it makes you feel better, right? Another example is like, let's say you're, you're ending a fight camp, you had a tough fight camp, you're walking into the ring, you got some bumps and bruises, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes people think, man, like I'm not 100% right? My knee is busted up. My shin is swollen, like tough fight camp. I wish that I was hundred percent. It's negative. It's not going to help you in the ring. Mm -hmm. But if you can't, if you, if you filter into something positive and you say, I'm super prepared, I had a great fight camp. You know, these bumps and bruises are indicative of you know, me trying really hard. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go out there and I'm, I'm going to use that preparation to my advantage. We're talking about the same thing, but it's how you look at it. Mm -hmm. One version looks at it in a negative way. One looks in a positive. So I tell my athletes all the time, we're not building force fields we're building filters, right? We're not trying to plug our ears and say like, la, 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 mm -hmm. I can't hear the negativity because negativity is always going to come in. But if you've been trying to prepare yourself to never experience negativity or negative self-talk, the moment it seeps in, you're going to get more anxious. Mm -hmm. You're just like, fuck, I, you know, I'm not but supposed to think that But this could work not, e not only just for co competition. It could work for just everyday life. Everyday life, you filter it. So you, you build a filter where guess what? positive self-talk makes you feel good mm -hmm. but negative self-talk does too because now the negative self-talk gets filtered into positive self-talk which allows you to feel better so it's just like the system like i said we're not building force fields we're building filters and once you can establish it like it doesn't matter if you're a fighter mm -hmm. business person mom dad in a relationship like these are core skills that you can take with you everywhere that you go and mm -hmm. that's what the mental thing is you know you can lose your muscle mass over time you will lose your cardio when you go on vacation. It is what it is. But the mental stuff, those mental skills, they will never leave you. As long as you're consistent with it, you keep up with it, those are the skills that you never have to worry about losing in your luggage, right? People have their lucky gloves. They have their socks that they put on. But guess what? If you're flying to Barcelona mm -hmm. and your luggage gets lost, you're screwed. You're like, all my magic is gone, you know? Mm -hmm. But when you put that in your head and you build these mental you skills, believe that. nobody can yeah. take it away from you. You can be just yourself. You can walk into any arena in any city in front of any fan base against any opponent, but you know that what you need is up here. Nobody can take away from it. And that's real confidence. Mm -hmm. And that's what people need. People need the real, authentic, genuine confidence. And that's how you get it, through doing things like that. I was going to ask, like, I, I think that what you're saying makes complete sense. And I'm, I just want to challenge it a little bit, though. Like, isn't there an element of where people are kind of almost putting their heads in the clouds a little bit sometimes? And I don't mean by being positive, but... Is there no place for negativity in our lives at all to be like, hey, like I, I just, I, I did this terribly, or, or like just some sort of reflection that just makes you go, okay, like I need to be better. This is like this is not kind of a part of that as well. Yeah, you know what? That's a great point. And like you said, the reflection piece, right? If you can match it with an element of reflection and awareness, then you can use it to your advantage. Right. But a lot of people don't. A lot of people just say, you know, what I mean, like, fuck this. You know, I can't like I can't play. I had, on that I had such a shitty day, you know, mm -hmm. if you have the ability to use your awareness to reflect on it and say, well, why did that happen? 
right? Like right. I said, you, I get caught all the time. I, you know, I, I'm a fourth degree black belt in Taekwondo, but I'm a white belt in Jiu-Jitsu. I get tapped all the time yeah. by like anybody. And it is frustrating for me too. I'm like, I can't believe this has happened, but I have to match it. So when I journal, I let the frustration come out. I don't pretend it's not there. Like you said, you have to be real with yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm not pretending it's not there. Oh, today was a great practice. No, that's not how you really do it. Like you said, with your head in the clouds, you know what I mean? You eat shots all day. Great day for me. No, it wasn't a great day. It sucked. But does it suck long term? Mm-hmm. Does it suck just today? Will it sucking today lead to something positive? And it's it's the, the underlying belief that things are going to happen and things are going to work out for a reason. That's how it comes into play. So you might have a really bad day. Something mm-hmm. might happen. You have to come to the awareness of why, right? And remember, we're not, those negative self-talk statements, they're not personal to us. It could just be something that happened. So it's okay to say, I let myself get caught with that. Mm-hmm. But we're not saying, I'm a bad person. I'm a bad fighter. I don't deserve to be here. People think like that. People think like, I don't know if I deserve to be here. That's, that's never going to help you, right? It's never going to help you to think that way. I'm like, man, did I work hard enough? That's that's more negative. So it's not that negativity in itself is something that never helps, but that kind doesn't. When it's geared towards you, right? Mm-hmm. I suck. I can't do this. What's going on with me? Maybe I should quit. It doesn't help. But when negative things happen, if you have the awareness to reflect on it and learn from it, then it becomes a great thing. And that's how you can develop positive, right? It's just, it's this thing. And the way I describe kind of like developing into that and developing that skill, it's like, let's say you go for a hike, right? You know, when you go on a hike and there's the trail that you follow, Mm -hmm. it's like, well, why do you follow that trail? Because it's like the flattest part, right? There's a bunch of trees and bushes and stuff. You're not going to walk in there. You follow the path. That's how our brain works. Our brain... Our neurons follow the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. It's like most of our body does that. We always follow the path of least resistance. And when we're thinking fast, that's how it goes. Least resistance. We always prioritize that path. So our whole lives, if we're thinking negatively and we're doing those things, that's just the path of least. That's why people can be naturally negative, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's just how they've always thought. It takes a long time to go the other way. Because now imagine instead of following that path, you're kind of like, I'm like, go through the other way, go walk through those bushes. You have to take this sword, you know, like in the movies, mm-hmm. you have to chop it down as you walk. That's what it's like because your body's not used to it. You have to force yourself to think positively, right? It's easy to, to, to think negatively. But over time, you walk that path a thousand times. Guess what? It's going to get flatter. It's going to get flatter. Eventually, a thousand times more, that path will actually now be the path of least resistance mm-hmm. because you flattened it so much. And that's what self-talk is. That's what positivity is. That's why you see some certain people are just positive all the time you nothing will bring them down and you're like how are you like that it's because they've created that as their path that's almost like their default mode you know what i mean i'm like i'm that way too the moment something negative happens i can instantly figure out a way that you know what maybe this led to this which is like i just like visualize the dominoes falling and going that's Mm -hmm. why that had to happen no problem you know what i mean let's say something goes wrong no problem because i've created this path where positivity is now the the path of least resistance Mm -hmm. anyone can do it it's hard though because it requires the awareness to do it. It requires the discipline to continue to hold yourself accountable to these negative thoughts. You have to keep practicing. It's not enough to just say, man, I'm frustrated. You have to go, wait a second. I just told myself I'm frustrated. What can I tell myself in return? So it's a slow process until Mm -hmm. it becomes this natural filter. So it's slow, takes a while, but once you build it, I mean, it becomes like that that path of least resistance Mm -hmm. and that's what people should strive for. So I just want to also like, and that makes complete sense. So my, uh, coming from like my more artistic side of how I see things, you know, one of the things that I see a lot of, and uh, I'd like to hear what your thoughts are, is when people start going down this path of like 
um, more self-awareness, positivity. You know, we see a lot of that and that's that's great. Like it's an important thing for all of us to do. I mean, we all follow MMA fighters on social media, probably a bunch of them. They all start to look and sound the same mm-hmm. sometimes, right? And they pull to some quotes and then, and sometimes you look and you go, are you actually positive? Yeah. Or do you think you have to be positive? Or on top of it, like you sometimes feel like when people go down a certain path, they lose who they are as a person. And then, and I know that's not what you're advocating, but I kind of like to hear your link or your thought. Like, is there false positivity? Like, how do you see those kind of, kind of situations? There's a tricky line when it comes to faking it till you make it, right? That's something that we've heard, whether mm-hmm. it's in fighting, show business, whatever. Faking it till you make it. Now, what's that mean? And we were just talking about this before. There's ways to do it properly and there's ways to not do it properly. So for example, you know, self-talk is a way that you can kind of, kind of fake it till you make it. You tell yourself I'm the best, right? You tell yourself I'll fight anybody, right? That's a way to do it. It's another way to physically do it, right? Let's say you're walking. You know, if I tell you to walk to the room, walk to the door and back and you walk, you're like, okay. And I ask you how you feel. You say, I'll feel normal. But if I say walk to the door and walk back, the way that you would walk into the ring, things change. Mm-hmm. Chest is out, head's up, you feel a little bit better. And then I ask you, how did that walk feel? It felt better. You didn't really change anything. You just changed your posture. You changed these things. Mm-hmm. And you kind of faked it, right? Because, and, and let's say you're not feeling confident. You can fake it, right? Put your chest up, smile, right? And sometimes it does help. And a lot of times it does help, right? If you're really nervous, you're scared, you don't want people to know that, you can fake it, right? You walk in and just sometimes the act of faking it in itself will make you feel better. I mean, there's a bunch of studies that have been done that show just by smiling, regardless of what mood you're in, it'll make you happier. Mm-hmm. Why is it? Well, because, you know, when you're, when you're, muscles are you know used to smiling it's always because you're happy it like your brain links smiling to happiness so if you smile your brain knows okay smiling and happiness are connected so even if you're feeling pretty neutral and you smile like a really big smile you'll feel a little bit happier because your brain connects those two and they say well i'm smiling i must be happy so Mm -hmm. it releases those things so that's when faking it till you make it does help when you fake something fake something physically emotionally whatever and you're actually generating the response that you want it's possible right walking with your chest up doing those things does make you feel better it makes you feel more confident whether you're talking about it's a different way like you said everybody i think it comes what matters is what's the intention behind it is the intention to genuinely motivate yourself or is it to sell a fight i think that's what we find with the social media stuff Mm -hmm. right there's one thing when it comes to telling yourself i'm the best right even if in the moment maybe you don't really believe it it can help with your confidence, right? You look yourself in the mirror and go, I'm the best. I'm the best in my division. I'm the fastest. I'm the strongest. Nobody can take me out. You start your morning like that, you'll feel better. But then we say it online, you do it in interviews. There's a different tone to it. It's, mm-hmm. like, a, it's like a chip on your shoulder, right? It's to sell the fight. It's to gain momentum. It's to do those things. So it's, the, it's a tricky side. It depends what the intention is. Is it genuine? Are you saying it because you really believe it? Or are you saying it just to sell fights? And like you said, people say, I'll fight anybody. You know, anytime, any place, put me there. It becomes the same stuff over and over again. It's tough. It's, do you really believe it? You know what I mean? And what is the mm-hmm. intention behind it? Are you trying to sell a fight? Are you trying to make yourself look like this top guy? Or are you just doing it by yourself? Right? And I think context matters. And I think that's how to answer the question. It's a tricky thing where both work, right? There's yes and there's no. Telling yourself I'm the best in the world does help. If you really believe it, if you're, if you're really trying to use that as a tool to motivate yourself. But if you're doing it on the other side just to kind of like flex and, and to like promote yourself and whatever, and you're not doing the work behind the scenes to make that happen, if it's not clicking, right? Like the front end and the back end have to match. Yeah. So if you're telling yourself I'm the best in the world and you're grinding behind the scenes, mm-hmm. okay, there's a match there. You know what I mean? You'll get there. 
But if you're telling the media I'm the best in the world, then you're going to parties and you're doing your thing, like it's not really conducive to a, to a good performance. So mm -hmm. context really matters, intent really matters. I think that's just how life is in general. But to answer that question, it, it is context. Sometimes faking it till you make it is a strong tool. And sometimes it exposes people that are really just not that confident. And I think that's a, it's a thin line, yeah. if that answers the question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah it's a, uh, you'd be surprised how many guys are not what they are. <clears throat> they say it, but then you always question it. Is that, are you really like that? Like, do you eat, sleep, breathe like this all the time, or is this just bullshit? Yeah. And a lot of times you see it in their performance. You see how they re they handle the losses, for example. So if they, they lose a fight, you see where that mental toughness really was. How do they handle the loss? How do they pick themselves up from that? Some guys are fucking outstanding at that. Some are terrible, and you can they are exposed, right? What? How do you get somebody to the point where they know they need that help? Like, how does... You talk to fighters and they say, no, I'm already mentally tough. I don't need to talk to you. How do you break somebody down to a point where like, hey, man, maybe this would work for you in a sense? Like, Yeah, I would say for the most part. Because I think most, I think, sorry to interrupt you, but I think almost every fighter should have a psych psychologist yeah. assess them, talk to them. I think they should have that outlet to blow off. Most of these guys get into combat sports because they have something shitty that happened to them as a kid, whether it's bullying, whether it's bad parenting. Sometimes it's just a competitive family. They want to be competitive. But for the most part, a lot of fighters come from homes that, maybe not so much homes or environments, we'll say, environments that aren't very appealing. That's why they get into fighting. Mm -hmm. That's why they get into, the, to blow off that steam, to get off that thing. So how do you look at somebody and say, hey, this will really help you as an individual, not just as a performing athlete. Like, mm -hmm. it it actually happens a lot less than you'd expect. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, it's a small amount of people that do say that when they say, oh, I'm, I'm already tough. Sometimes there's nothing you can do, mm -hmm. right? You say, okay, well, you, you just kind of have to wait. You say, well, okay. Eventually you're going to perform. Maybe you're going to underperform. You're going to realize mm -hmm. that could help me. And I'm just, that's why I always end things on like a really nice note. Because I'm not going to burn any bridges. I say, no problem. Mm -hmm. That's great. Knowing that, you know what, something might happen down the line where you come back. And you say, okay, you know what? It seems like I do need something. I'm not really in the business of changing people's minds. It takes too much time, right? Mm -hmm. Especially, and you never want to, especially the work that I do, because it's so intimate. It's like a podcast like this. If people aren't on the same page from jump, mm -hmm. there's like this friction there, right? My job isn't to convince you. My job is to help, right? So if I have to mm -hmm. sell you first, it's not really the best thing Probably especially if you're starting the session yeah. with this chip on your shoulder of like hmm let me see what this guy's like. you know what i mean so you're not really going to learn from it so i to answer the question of how do i change them i really don't right it's like if you're selling it like you talk about being a salesman if you're selling someone a product and they don't want it sometimes it's easier just to knock on the next door than to try to convince that person mm -hmm. because the time it takes you to convince that person if they're still going to say no you just waste your opportunity on all these other houses the day's mm -hmm. done so i don't really do it too much what I do sometimes is I have a really good relationship with a lot of sports agents. I can talk to them and we kind of use them as like an intermediary, right? So instead of going from me to the athlete, talk to the agent. And they say, okay, here's what I do, blah, blah, blah. And they say, okay, well, here are a few guys that we know. Why don't we talk to them? Mm -hmm. And sometimes hearing it from their agent is a little bit better because their agent knows them or they feel like their agent knows them and they know it's not coming from a place of weakness. It's coming from a place of help. Say, so, okay, my agent recommended it. It could be worse. So that's mm -hmm. one way. Um, but yeah, and I think... 
people like that too, you know, I'll say, you know what, let's do one for free. Let's have a session. If you get value from it, let's keep the conversation going. Mm. If you don't, no problem. Because I really do, like I said before, I, I believe in the system. I believe it works. Which is why when it came to my first couple clients, I did like six, four weeks. No problem. At the end of the day, if you feel like you're not gaining from it, mm -hmm. it's completely on you. No problem. I'll look, I'll, I'll look at that and I'll say, what went wrong? Right? But it's, it's always on me. Mm -hmm. 100%. No, I, I never blame anybody else. It's always on me. If it didn't work out for them, it's, I, I never say like, well, they didn't try hard enough. They didn't commit to the program. It's always me. Why? Even mm -hmm. if they didn't, even if they never journaled once, why couldn't I get them to do that? What did I do wrong? Why wasn't mm -hmm. I convincing enough? You know what I mean? Could I have said it a different way? Mm -hmm. It's always on me. It's never on them. So that's, you know, another way too. Sometimes I'll go to the agents and I'll talk to them that way. Sometimes I'll just say, listen, let's, let's do a couple sessions for free. Mm -hmm. Tell me what you think. If you like it, let's keep it up. If not, no problem. And nine times out of 10, they say, you know what? Like, wow, even the first session alone, we'll go through some goal setting stuff. We'll do the, um, the baseline assessment. And I love it. I, I, there's always that moment in the first couple of sessions where you see them light up like, wow. Mm -hmm. It's like, fuck, I never thought about it that way. I never, and, and that's what gets me. That's what like makes me feel alive, you know? Saying something to someone and then looking at me and going like, wow, like I never thought about things that way. Mm -hmm. I'm like, let's do it. Like now that's how the relationship gets building. Now we've established that trust. You trust me. You know my abilities, right? Because I mean, look at me. I'm this young guy. You know what I mean? I don't look like other people that do this type of thing. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to, to be doubtful. Let's see what this guy's all about. No problem. I welcome it. And then that's when that establishes, when that trust is established, it's stronger than any other relationship because yeah, I'm not this 58 year old PhD guy that's been studying this all my life. And you know, but the difference is I've, I've walked in that ring the same way you have. Mm -hmm. I've walked in the ring. I've had all the fans from another country booing against me. I've been in countries where I couldn't speak the language. I didn't know what the food was like. I've been there. And once we've established that connection and that trust, mm -hmm. it just helps even more because now they can see me as more of like a teammate or a coach instead of like this psychologist, doctor, you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. I'm not a psychologist. So I don't pretend either. I don't pretend to be something that I'm not. It, it comes down to authenticity, right? It's this trust. And if you break the trust, there's nothing. So it comes to, all right, let's 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 get together. Let's try this out. See what you think. And then, like I said, once a trust is established, because I can connect to them on a level that academics can't really do, mm -hmm. now we're in. Now I can say, hey, you know how you get those butterflies when you're walking in? You can hear the crowd and your song plays. These are things I can connect to and we can attack. But if you've only read about it, there's only so much you can do, mm -hmm. right? If you read a thousand podcast books and then you record your first podcast, maybe you'd have like a little bit of an edge. But then I'm always going to take the person that's recorded 10,000 episodes over someone that's just read about it a bunch of times. For sure. Experience, yeah. right? Experience, experience. Now, it's not like that in all fields. You know what I mean? If I'm going to go to the doctor's office, mm -hmm. I want someone that fucking knows what they're doing. But there's things, there's, there's ways to do it. And it's not like I've given up. I'm still in school. I'm still pursuing the academic side. But like I said, I have the sport experience. I have the intuition. I'm pursuing the academic side. And when it comes together, it's a, it's a great thing. Mm -hmm. How long is a treatment? Not a treatment, we'll call it. Um, how long would someone be committed with you? Consistent, as long as they want, on a month to month. So I do it differently than everybody else. Like I said, psychologists charge a lot of money. Mm -hmm. A lot of money, and it's the wrong demographic. You know this. Mm -hmm. You're not going to go to an MMA fighter and, and ask them for you know $120 an hour, $150 an hour. Mm -hmm. can't afford it. All their money is going into the training, to the flying out. You, it's the wrong demographic to try to be barking up that tree. So that's why I cut it way down, but we keep it consistent. So like I said, every week, every two weeks, every month, I would say most people are on like a bi-weekly program. Mm -hmm. And it's just like a, it's like a subscription. It just charges their card every, every month. We do our two sessions, we schedule it in, and then we go from there. Mm -hmm. If there's a fight camp, sometimes we'll ramp it up. If there's some downtime, we'll, we'll tone it down. It's completely, mm -hmm. like when I say it's personalized, not only is the treatment, like the, the sessions personalized, but the whole platform is personalized for them right they have a fight camp they want to do an extra session no problem we'll do it 
Mm. Right? You're going on vacation, no problem. We just won't charge you. It's just, it's really easy, really simple, but it's consistent. Mm -hmm. The same way that you always have your coach. Doesn't matter if you're in a fight camp or not, you're always training. You always have your coach, right? Whether mm -hmm. you have a dietitian, two other things, like there's always people in your camp. That's how I feel. I want to be a part of your camp. I want to be, I want to be in your corner for real. I don't want to just be this guy that you call up every four months when you have a fight. I want to yeah. be a part of this. You know what I mean? I want to be a part of this crew. I want to be a part of your training team. I want to be a part of, I want to be part of your team. Mm -hmm. That's how it works. And I learned that from myself, understanding, well, what do I want when I was fighting? Because I saw sports psychologists, I saw therapists, I saw everybody. Not because there was something wrong with me, but because I always wanted the edge. I always wanted to be better than my opponent in any way that I could, have all my bases covered. Yeah. And that's where most, most athletes that do this come from. They want their bases covered. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what I did. And I, and I thought when I was the athlete sitting in the chair talking to the guy, thinking like, well, how would I do this? Right? And that's something that I always did. Like, how would I do this and how would I do it better? Sometimes like they'd be talking to me and I, I'd just be thinking like, how would I be doing this differently? Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I do. I keep it consistent all the time. Another thing that I do is I'll, I'll actually evaluate them in person. You know what I mean? Like you never expect that. You never mm -hmm. go to a, a sports psychologist and, you know, have them come watch you train. It just doesn't happen. It's selfish. But I knew that that would really help me. So that's what I do. That's why I flew down last January to Miami. I went to American Top Team, talked to all the guys. Mm -hmm. um, I went to, like I told you, I went to Milwaukee, watched a couple of them fight, like, watch them train, watch them compete. Like it's one thing to just talk over the, over Skype, over FaceTime, but it's another to be there and to show like, I'm here for you for real, like for mm -hmm. real, for real, not just because it's, oh, it's, it's easier. It's, you know what I mean? I'm here and I'm there and I understand what it's like to be an athlete. And so, you know, these are like my people. That's what I feel. When I look at athletes and I look at fighters, like that is my, that's my people. And I mm -hmm. feel comfortable around them. I, I think in turn, they feel comfortable around me and it creates a really nice dynamic that I don't think I would have been able to establish if I was just an academic, yeah, you know what I mean. So, do you can you get a percentage of people's profits on fights as well? Because, like, is there like because you're part of the camp, like they often do ten percent for coaches. And like, are you in that as well, or when you say subscription, it is just the subscription? Because yeah, it sounds the, like you're putting yeah, so much time well, into it. For sure. How does not to sound, but how do you make sure that it's sustainable for yourself as well? You know. Yeah, it's it's a it's not a equity thing it's just a monthly cost like anything else it's a subscription so you can pay i think it's like for some let's say like let's round it out to like a hundred dollars a month let's just say right everybody's different it's just like that you just put your card in i use like square because you can't do e-transfers like in the states i learned that early on yeah i had that problem right <laughs> so you just do it every month and then every month it just auto builds them and then we just run a two sessions try to keep it organized i try to stay on top of them and make sure that they're keeping up with the sessions right, right? i could be an asshole and say oh you didn't book me you know what i mean like it is what it mm -hmm. is but that's i it it matters to me that it's authentic and that it comes from the right place so i'll mm -hmm. check in on them hey man it's coming up in a few weeks like let's schedule a session i'll do it all the time so that's what it is not to say that i would never take that approach mm -hmm. i'm still learning about the ways to do it financially yeah. but for me i always want to protect my relationship with the athlete. I never want to do anything that would make them feel uncomfortable from that side. And it's tricky. I mean, listen, it'd be easy if I had a, like a finance team or I had like a secretary that could do that for me. Yeah. But when you're, when you're the, like the administrator of the program, right? When I'm the guy that does it, I'm the, I'm the main guy. If I have to be the guy that also like is the bill collector, it's not, a, it, there's friction there. Yeah, yeah. There's friction there. So I would always, 10 out of 10, 10 days out of 10, I will always choose the program provider side, Dylan, over the bill collector, Dylan. Yeah. Because one of them builds a relationship, one of them hurts it. And the moment you kind of plant that seed that like, this isn't a completely authentic relationship, goes downhill. Mm -hmm. So not to say I would never take the approach of going equity side, especially if I have people that I'm gonna be with like 24 yeah. seven. 
But for now, it's just a simple, it's, it's simple as subscription-based. People have a million subscriptions. It's easy for them. They don't have to necessarily worry about it all the time. And then they, they get to know. Mm-hmm. Okay, no, but the same way that you pay for your gym membership, yeah. right? So you can pay 200 for this, 100 for this, 1,000 for this. It's just another subscription. And then you just give me a, a, a heads up and you say, you know what? I'm good for next month. Don't worry about it. Okay, cool. It's really it. Amazing. That's one of those things that Jamie and I talk about a lot. So we talk a lot about, you know, MMA fighters, right? And especially when they're in the, let's say, entry-level pros, not UFC or at the top of their game, but maybe they're making one and one. They win, they get a thousand bucks, and then, you know, they get their thousand dollar base. And I I remember I was talking with Jamie, I was like, you know, one of the challenges is you're not going to live off that. So these people do have day jobs or whatever, right? And and I guess the point we're trying to talk to, like when we talk to um, Phenom, performance you know he Callum. said you know Callum, dr. Callum, dr. Callum, Callum. he said you know when you're spending money on his service you're investing in your availability mm-hmm. your ability to win more and make more money down the road right so you're not gonna make much off a thousand over three months you can't survive off that so you know he's like you use part of that we'll help you get more wins be higher performance mm-hmm. and i kind of feel like that's something very similar with you mm-hmm. right if somebody's using your service they're investing in being able to perform better you know it's not always gonna like you said you're not always gonna necessarily win everything but you're you're unlocking higher potential i.e more revenue for yourself yeah i've definitely well. thought about it I, yeah. i've definitely thought about it taking some sort of equity approach just about breaking it down any any time you look into the equity side you have to make sure that your relationships with the agents are amazing because yeah. the agents are really the ones that own the equity you know what mm-hmm. i mean they're the ones that can say wait a second this doesn't sound right we're taking a certain percent yeah so that's why I always try to establish strong relationships with everybody, whether it's their coaches, their agents, the organization. Like, I'll talk to everybody. I'll talk to every- I'll make sure that everybody knows my name. Everybody likes me. I've had a phone call with everybody that I can. That way, when it comes time to talking business, we've already established that, like, there's no hostility here. Right? It's easy. This is, a, this is a, an industry where it's easy to get fooled, right? Because it's not something that's necessarily been proven, right? It's not like like massage therapists or physio people or nutritionists, dietitians, where you can say, listen, the science has been there. Every team has a dietitian, blah, blah, blah. It's easy to get scammed, right? There's people that can say that they're doing this and they're helping athletes and they're not. They're just talking. They're just like asking questions and then calling Mm -hmm. it a day. They're not actually contributing. That's why there's sometimes a lot of winning people over. And I, and I, I like doing that. Like you said, I have no problem talking to people, talking people through it. Understanding that the relationship that like the way that you your perceptions of me ultimately is your perception of my company. And I'm okay with that because I know who I am, right? I know what I bring to the table. But that's why I'm also okay with doing things for free. Because I'm like, listen, no problem. It hasn't been proven. You have your doubts. Mm -hmm. Let's get rid of those doubts. You tell me what you need. Let's do it for free for X amount of time. Maybe you put up a banner for me, something to say thank you, put the logo on the shorts, it is what it is, then we'll talk money. But I'm never gonna come in and say, You've never heard about this you should be paying, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. it's like, I'm always okay to go the other way and say, no problem, let mm-hmm. me prove it to you. And that's what I, I liked love about it. you. That's what I liked about you when we first talked too, because it, was, it wasn't it was like a, a, hey, pay, fuck you, pay me. It was like, a, hey man, like, well, let's work, look at it and, and, and see if it's even works. If it works, then let's talk money later. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like sometimes when people do that, it, it, you make you look at them and go, okay, Okay, because sometimes it's, all, it's not always about dollars and cents. It's, mm-hmm. it's about relationships and proving to each other what you can do, right? How does somebody find you, bro? How, if someone wanted to reach out and, and get a hold of you and get your, these kind of services into, like, how do they find you? Obviously, you can message me and I can, I can link the two of you, but how does somebody 
jump in and find you? Yeah, I mean, I'm always on my phone. You can check it out. You can so the the company page is Mindlock. It's just at Mindlock with an underscore at the end. Okay, you can check it out there. You can DM me from there. I'll respond. I'll, I'll see it. You can see some of the athletes that we work with. Um, you can see I've done some podcasts like this. I have my own podcast I just started called Locked In with Dylan, where I'll talk with athletes and coaches and all that. Okay, wicked. You can see me there, or you can find my personal Instagram. It's just Dylan Nadler with an underscore at the end. Also, I'll be there too. Like I'm, I'm always around. You can send me a message. I'll, I'll respond right away. Um, and yeah, like I said, I mean, kind of hinting back to the podcast, um, the conversations that I have, I mean, like conversations are gold, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, like conversations that I have with these athletes, there's so many times where I'm talking to them and I'm like, man, like other people need to hear this, but we, you know, you can't expose it because it's like a private thing. Yeah. So putting it under the context of a podcast and now sometimes having the same people on or new people, you get to have those same conversations, but now there's like a lot of people that can listen and watch and learn. So that's one of the reasons why I started doing that. Because I'm like, mm-hmm. man, there's so many conversations I'm having that are amazing. Like you said, when the microphones are off, some of the best conversations are there. 100%, Especially yeah. when the context of the conversation is development, challenges, adversity. Things like you said, athletes don't really want to share. People always want to do the hoorah thing, right? Mm-hmm. I'm the best, nothing scares me. Being vulnerable is sometimes a way to gain fans. For right? Sure. People understand, wait a second, you get scared, I get scared with the same person, blah, blah, blah. So having those same conversations under the context of a podcast, I'm like, you know what? This could be a good idea to kind of get these thoughts out there. Mm-hmm. So that's where you can find me, Instagram, um, YouTube, everywhere. It's just Mindlock, Mindlock Mental Training, and then Dylan Nadler with an underscore. I'm always around, man. Beautiful. Amazing. Okay. Uh, yeah. Thank you again, man. I appreciate it. Uh, let's wrap this up and um, have a great New Year. Yeah, Merry Christmas, thank you, man. The whole I appreciate it. And, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for coming on, man. I, re- I truly appreciate it. Of course, man. Anytime. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, Dylan Nadler. want to give a shout out to Devolution Productions. Devolution Productions is the production company I use to produce my podcast and to do a lot of my fight-related stuff. Uh, the absolute best production company I've had the opportunity to work with. And if you're looking to get any work done or any kind of videos or anything professional, Devolution Productions is the company to contact. Uh, to get a hold of them, just inbox me, shoot me a message, text me, call me, Facebook, Instagram, anywhere, any of those handles, and I'll connect you in a heartbeat. Uh, Devolution Productions is bar none the best production company in Canada.